This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix. You're stopped for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. Monica, are you ready to really talk Zero Dark Thirty? Are you ready to really go on the hunt for what this movie's all about? Yes, and I'm bringing back up with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is part two of episode number 34 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Zero Dark Thirty. So if you're looking for part one, you are listening to the wrong file. Go away. We don't want you here. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, you should be aware that this is a show on Film Geek Radio devoted to in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. And each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now and go check out part one of our episode on Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, We're privileged to be joined by a special guest for part two of our discussion. He is the former managing editor of GordonTheWhale.com and a writer for Criterion Cast. You can find his work all over the internet. Josh Brunstein, welcome to the show. Hey. Did I say that right? Yes. Brunstein? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're one of the rare people who can kind of do it on first on first glance. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited. All right. Well, let's dive into Zero Dark Thirty. And uh, because this is part two, we're going to assume that if you're listening, you've already seen the movie and you don't need a plot synopsis. Uh, but before we really start to analyze things, here's another clip. Someone just tried to blow up Times Square, and you're talking about some facilitator who some detainee seven years ago said might have been working with Al-Qaeda? He's the key to bin Laden. I don't care about bin Laden. You're going to start working on the American Al-Qaeda cells. Protect the homeland. Bin Laden is the one who keeps telling them to attack the homeland. If it wasn't for him, Al-Qaeda would still be focused on overseas targets. If you really want to protect the homeland, you need to get bin Laden. This guy never met bin Laden. You just want me to nail some low-level mullah crackadullah so you can check that box on your resume that says, while you were in Pakistan, you got a real terrorist. But the truth is, you don't understand Pakistan, and you don't know Al-Qaeda. Either give me the team I need to follow this lead, or the other thing you're going to have on your resume is being the first station chief to be called before a congressional committee for subverting the efforts to capture or kill bin Laden. All right, let's let's talk Zero Dark Thirty. Josh, I've gotten the impression, based on some things that you've said on Twitter, that you were a big fan of the film. It was, it was just, just to sort of give you an idea of where we're coming from. It was Monica's number one movie of 2012, okay, and. I didn't care for it okay. very much. I it, it was it was okay. I it wasn't horrible, but I I'm I'm kind of my mind is boggled at all the amount of praise the movie is getting. You mean how I kind of look at Silver Linings Playbook? Yes, but I kind of agree <laughs> with you with Silver Linings Playbook as well. But so so let me ask you, Josh, did you indeed like Zero Dark Thirty? And if so, why? What 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 is it about the movie that you really liked? Uh, well, I did. Uh, I didn't see it before the end of the year. 
Um, so I couldn't say if it was my favorite or, or not. Yeah, I just happened to, to, to live in too small of a town, apparently. I'm the same way. It didn't get a wide release in North Carolina until January. Yeah, December. Although it didn't really hit theaters in Boston until January 4th or so. Right. So the only reason why we saw it was because of critics awards voting. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did actually really like it. And I didn't, I think the, the entire controversy surrounding it's a little bit silly, which I'm sure we'll get to here in a little bit. Cause you kind of can't have a discussion of this movie without discussing that. Yeah. Um, but I think it kind of misses the point a little bit. Um, I think the great thing about zero dark 30 is that it's in a similar way. I, I think, and I've seen a lot of, this comparison floating around the web that it's uh, similar kind of in tone and like themes to something like Zodiac where it's very much focusing on the idea of, uh, of obsession. And I think the film works as, as that, as kind of a meditation on obsession and particularly with the, the opening uh, like two minutes, you kind of get put into this mood and I think it does, it does a great job of setting tone uh, I think the only thing that, that kind of goes a little overboard is uh, Displot's score. Um, I'm not really the biggest fan of it. It's kind of just all, it's always there, and uh, it's just kind of omnipresent and brooding too much so. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think um, it's definitely polarizing, which is why I think, uh, Andrew, your stance on it, just kind of being, being a little middling, is actually kind of interesting, and I'd like to hear kind of where you're coming from on it. But yeah, I, th- I totally love this thing. And we'll we'll talk about it more, but yeah. Well, I, I've I've heard the comparisons to Zodiac, and I can certainly see where that's coming from. Totally. Unfortunately, I don't remember enough about Zodiac <laughs> to really comment. It, it it's one of those movies that again didn't make much of a of an impression on me right. when I saw it, but but I know over the past few years, I know it has really enthusiastic supporters, yeah. and and it's it's a movie that I've been meaning to go back. And, and revisit. Zero Dark Thirty, you know, you, you said that the conversation about torture is missing the point. And that was kind of what I, when I came away from the theater afterwards, I was just kind of left thinking to myself, well, what is the point? Why was this movie made? What is it trying to say? You know, the war on terror is such a big part of America and American identity and American culture at this point. I just was kind of left thinking, well, what is this movie adding to the discussion? Is it adding anything to the discussion? And at the end of the day, I'm not really sure it is. Hmm. It's so dispassionate and it's so cold and distancing at times to me that I'm struggling to figure out what the artistic intent was, what Bigelow was trying to communicate and I think the last scene sort of brings up some interesting ideas. I mean, the last line of the movie is, where do you want to go now? Which is an effective line to end things on because it, it's kind of like Bigelow is just asking the audience, okay, yeah. we've been through the past 10 years. We, we've been through this huge war on terror. We finally got Bin Laden. Now what? And so I think... The movie's a little bit interesting if you if you just want to read Chastain's character as a symbol of America and America's drive and obsession with getting Bin Laden and, and ending terror at all costs. But aside from that, other than that reading 
of the movie. I have th- there's nothing that really pulls me into the movie either emotionally or intellectually. And I, I was telling Monica in part one, the direction didn't impress me very much. I spent a lot of the movie thinking that it was kind of just like a History Channel reenactment. Really? That's interesting. And I said it didn't feel like that, yeah. Yeah, it it doesn't (laughs) feel that way to me either, because particularly with how focus is used, I think it just kind of sets this mood that this world in and of itself that, that these characters are living in is really blurry. It's really hazy. It's very It's a murky world that these people are working within. And I think the even even something like the like we're saying like the focus that Bigelow uses how it's insanely shallow like something mm-hmm. three inches behind Chastain's head it looks like a ghost right. um, and I think it's I think it's a really thrillingly made piece of piece of work like I I, I do disagree on that entirely okay <laughs> I was gonna say what kind of History Channel are you watching Andrew because <laughs> <laughs> I watch that all day. It's not the one that has swamp people, right? <laughs> I mean, I will say there are, there are certain sequences and certain scenes that I thought were well shot, but then there were other scenes where it's just like Maya in her office doing research or working and not really showing much emotion. And there's just so much of that that I was telling Monica, I could practically hear the voiceover in my head at times. Just It is really cold. It, yeah, it's very cold. And that's, at times, I think probably why it felt more like a reenactment than cinema at times, if that makes sense. I don't know. I feel like the CIA workplace wouldn't be a place where people, like, normally give hugs and let emotional lashes happen. And when they do happen, they are some of the best sequences in the movie, though. Yeah. True. When Chastain confronts uh, Kyle Chandler's character. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Fantastic. Or when she's actually in her office, like, finally balled up because I think her friend's death finally, like, it really touched upon her. How close things were and just the loss. She just kind of folds. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about that because I spent most of the movie thinking, okay, Maya, what is your motivation what 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 are you what's your goal what are you going for are you really obsessed like i had read that this was a, a movie about obsession but i didn't really get that for most of the film until her friend is blown up and then obviously that she she now has that extra motivation to get bin laden and at that point it was kind of like finally a reason for you to be doing what you're doing and to be so focused on it that to me was around the time the movie started picking up a little bit. For most of the first half of the movie, I was kind of bored just because it was so dispassionate and it was so cold and I felt like I felt like Bigelow wasn't giving me any to la- anything to latch on to <laughs> regarding Monica as a character. Maya. <laughs> what did I say? Did I say you Monica? Said Monica. <laughs> yeah. Regarding Monica. Yeah, Monica. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a character at all. <laughs> yeah, regarding Maya. Nope. <laughs> That other M person we're M, talking about. Yes. I mean, does that make sense? Or I mean, what was it about Maya that really drew you guys into the film? I don't know if it was so much that her as a character. It's I do think she's kind of a great symbol, uh, more so than the character, because we don't learn much about her. We don't really learn anything about her or really anybody involved here. And I think that's there's kind of a point to that. It's not... Their backstories aren't really important here, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for, for people looking to make that emotional connection, sure. Um, and that's why I think something like Zodiac is a better film, because you do get, you do learn a lot about these characters and you f- kind of emotionally connect with them. 
Uh, but I don't know if that's necessarily the point here. Yeah, what I was going to say is that if you were in a position to get the guy who hit your country the hardest it's ever been hit, that would be forever a career goal, I guess. If you were a spy, a CIA agent, and your objective was now to get the number one bad guy on the face of the planet, you know, why wouldn't you become obsessed? Why wouldn't that become the whole life? Well, as the movie shows, not everybody was obsessed like she was. Like, there were other concerns. Other people got burned out. It became too emotional. It became too, too strenuous on other folks. And that's why, like, the guy, he ends up in a desk job back in Washington or so. Right. Well, I, I got the impression, though, that Maya was the only one who was really focused on we have to get Bin Laden. He's the guy we have to get. I got the feeling that most of the other agents we're just sort of focused on fighting other aspects of the war on terror, whether it's domestic mm -hmm. terrorist yeah. plots or, or, you know, she was the only one that had that obsession. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was looking for any reason, like, why, why you? Why are you so much more obsessed than everyone else? And at the end of the movie, she has a conversation with James Gandolfini's character, the director of the CIA, and I was thinking to myself, finally, we're going to get some some information about who this person is. And he asked her, you know, why were you recruited straight out of high school? Yeah. And she says something like, oh, I'm not supposed to talk about that. And I was just like, why not? I want to know. <laughs> I want to know anything. Just tell me, tell me something about who you are and why, what happened in your life or, or, or your recruitment or, or something that gives me an idea about why you are the way you are. And the movie just refused to give that to me, and I found that really frustrating and really distancing. Sorry that Zero Dark Thirty wasn't the greatest OkCupid okay profile, Andrew. <laughs> I guess you're really heartbroken about that. Well, I'm trying to think what what, what Maya's OkCupid okay profile would look like. I mean, I'm sure she had one. <laughs> it, would be, it would be Bin Laden's face. <laughs> Searching for this one. <laughs> Her likes and dislikes are just Osama Bin Laden. <laughs> dislike terrorism like my one friend <laughs> UBL Damn. wow yeah but yeah the, 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 I don't know the movie just it didn't give me anything to latch onto I wanted something well I I, I kind of that, that scene was one of the ones that kind of felt weird to me just because yeah. if you're not going to tell us anything why even have this scene yeah. have this moment right. Because it would have been such a great moment, because I do really dig Gandolfini as kind of the Leon Panetta stand-in. And I, I would have loved to have seen more of their uh, their interactions, but I don't know, that scene, that scene did, for me, feel a little weird. Right. It was kind of like, I love Gandolfini, I want to see more of him, yeah. but looking back, it's like, did that, I don't think that needed to be in there. It didn't tell us anything. But yeah, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Mai is this really great character, and I just I just can't see it. I I don't know. I I just don't I don't get it. Let's start to talk about some of this controversial stuff before we get into the torture debate. I I think the torture thing is emblematic of a larger problem with the movie and of a larger direction that the movie takes and, 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 and a certain approach that, that Bigelow has. Josh, in your review of the movie, you wrote, quote, it may be the best bit of cinematic journalism in recent 
memory. Could you elaborate on what you mean by that when you say cinematic journalism? Because journalism is a word that's been thrown around a lot in regards to this movie. And I have really, really mixed feelings about it. So, so could you just elaborate on, on what you mean when you say cinematic journalism? Uh, sure. Well, well, full disclosure, since kind of the movie's hit, um, people, there have been more and more insights into just the type of information that the CIA fed uh, Bigelow and Bowl. Um, so I'm not, I'm not able to speak to the validity of the information that, that they were given, but if the information here is what, was actually, what actually occurred, I do, I do kind of stand by that statement because I think the, the idea of journalism and what, it's, what kind of it's meant to be is it's meant to be a, a check. Uh, in the system of check and balance, checks and balances, and I think what it does here is it puts U.S. for uh, like U.S. foreign policy and how we where we stood on the idea of foreign combatants and enhanced interrogations, and it kind of puts our feet to the fire as it should, and that's that's kind of what I meant. And and for those who know anything about Mark Bowl, he started his career as a as a really beloved in, uh, like investigative journalist. Uh, he wrote for Playboy. I know that's where the the story for uh, the Hurt, the Hurt Locker came from. And yeah, I just I think it's a really interesting bit of journalism on the part of Bowl, who I think really kind of kills the screenplay. Like I think it's a fantastic piece of writing. And I I, don't, I would like to hear your thoughts then, Andrew, if you're if you're a bit more mixed. Let, let me ask you, you, I mean, you say you felt like the movie was holding America's feet to the fire yeah. for the things that we've done in the name of the war on terror. Why did you get that impression? Because I, I, I didn't get that impression at all. Other than, I mean, the first 30 minutes of the movie is just a lot of torture, but at no point did I feel like the movie was commenting on that or critiquing it. It's so cold. It's so matter-of-fact that it's kind of just like, this is what happened, without passing judgment on it. Is it a journalist's like place to really yeah. hold judgment, or is it just to put the information out there? Because as a, as a person with a, a, a degree in journalism, I've taken a handful of journalism classes, and it's not... There's a difference between like commentaries and, yeah. and just pure, pure journalism, because I think the, the most important fact here is that if this information is true, this information is now out there for us to comment on ourselves. Like, as a nation, we are the ones that are supposed to be like, is this okay? Was this okay? So I don't know if it's necessarily Bull's position to do that, or if it's so much ours. I, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. As a journalist, I, I can see how the coldness of it and the just the matter-of-fact nature of the movie is quote-unquote journalistic sure at the same time the, the what you just said if this is all true that's the problem that is, yes that is that that i have with it is if it's all true because there's so much in this movie that either is a flat-out lie or is unclear and and hasn't yet been revealed by the cia in real life about about what happened and monica we you and i have talked about this before mm -hmm. i tend to have a problem with movies that are based on real events and it's it's not so much the fact that they're based on real events i have a problem when movies try so hard to be quote-unquote factual or accurate without what being a documentary yeah okay and even documentaries have 
artistic intent behind them most of the time. I have a problem with if that is the, a film's primary goal because I feel like that's not the purpose mm-hmm. of cinema and it's always going to fail at being fully accurate to a certain extent. I think I, I would have been fine with Zero Dark Thirty if it had just said based on a true story and that was it. Hmm. But because in interviews and, and, and everything around the film, it seems like Bigelow and Bowl and the movie itself to a certain extent, they're really harping on this idea that this movie is is accurate. Mm. This is factual. This is what happened. And that's not true. And it, this is the same problem I had with Argo to a certain extent. Argo does so much to make you feel like this actually happened mm-hmm. in this way when it didn't. And I feel like that's really disingenuous. It's manipulative. Yes. It, it's manipulative. It's it's giving people the wrong idea about what actually happened. And also, if you're if you're so focused on being accurate, I don't really care about the facts. If a movie, if there's an interesting artistic stance being taken, I would I would much rather see a movie like Inglorious Bastards, where Tarantino just throws history to the wind and says, "Screw that, <laughs> screw accuracy." Yeah. yeah. Then I'd much rather see something like that. Than someone masquerading as it's not. Than this. Right. Yeah. Right. And I I think that's the the crux of a lot of Zero Dark Thirty's issues is that it's it's pretending to be factual and pretending to be accurate when it's not. Yeah. But I think at the same time, I think, you know, now that all of this controversy is coming up and the CIA is saying like, no, we didn't say that. We didn't do that. Well, that's what you get for trying to, you know, follow someone's story that isn't supposed to be telling it in the first place or so. Or they didn't want it to have this version out there. So maybe Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bowl are totally, yeah, this is the information we were given and it might not be the right information. And then we could start all the conspiracy theories. He said and she said and then they said that we said... Well, we'll see that that leads me into the uh, into the torture issue, mm-hmm. because while I do not think that the movie endorses torture, I do think it would be difficult for someone who's unfamiliar with history to watch this movie and come away thinking torture and enhanced interrogation did lead directly to the capture of Bin Laden, mm-hmm. which is a very very disputed Claim. idea. Yeah. And I know that Bull has talked about how, oh, he, you know, they felt like they had to show the torture in some way because it is part of this time. It is something that happened. Yes. We did torture. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they showed the torture leading directly to key information and that they, they don't comment on the torture at all or pass any judgment or offer any context beyond – yes, we did this, and at several points in the movie, you see characters acting like that's a good thing. That was the mindset of the time, though. Like, that's really was the mindset of the time. It's like what had to be done in order to get the information they needed. I agree to a certain extent, but then, but the movie, but there were, there were dissenting opinions. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Even within the CIA. Yeah. And you even see, like, Maya at the beginning, that she's very uncomfortable with this whole thing. She, she's uncomfortable, but then later on she changes her mind. And then all we see throughout the course of the movie seems to be saying the detainee program and enhanced interrogation was good. I mean, there, there's, there's one scene in which we get a sense of the outside world, and that's a scene in which a few of the agents are sitting around a table and oh, you've got Obama yeah. on the television we talking about how he's going to stop enhanced interrogation 
And just the look on Chastain's face and the look on other people's faces, I don't know how you guys read it, but I read it as they were very disappointed and kind of disapproving of that course of action, that he would discontinue that. And then later on in the movie, you know, they're trying to get Bin Laden, and someone says something like, well, you know, if we had the, if the detainee program was still in place, yeah. this would be easier. And because there's no alternate view given, there's no context at all, I just, I was really uncomfortable, and I do feel like people that that haven't read about this stuff and don't know that most of the time torture doesn't work and produces false info, they're going to come away with the wrong idea. Oh, I'm sure they already have come away with the wrong idea. That A movie wasn't going to change that. I think if it had, I think if they had even commented on, like, though this is bad, people would have been like, oh, that's some liberal bullshit. I would have written it I off. I don't think so. I, I mean, I mean, again, Josh, it goes back to what you're talking about, about being journalistic. Yeah. You know, it, it's cold, it's matter of fact, but is it really quote-unquote objective if it's not revealing any sort of the larger context? That is actually a really good question, but the the thing I always think of is, is there really that much larger of a context? Yes, there were dissenting opinions, but remember, at the time of when this all occurred, people were just kind of, they were out for blood. And I think that's, and I think that's why the film opening the way it does is so interesting, because it's, it's it's exactly how these events occurred uh, emotionally. Like you get you get these events. It sets the tone. It kind of stacks the deck uh, in a way that I, I actually kind of appreciated. Like it's manipulative in a way I think works. Yeah. At that time, people were just out for blood. I think it sets the tone for that entire time period. Because halfway through the film, you're like, this stuff's just kind of, it's not working. Or and then and then it just uh, Obama comes in, gets rid of it. And yeah, I think I think it really works. So I don't know if, if it's necessarily knowingly trying to be one-sided um, or if it's just kind of that was the time period. See, that, that reading kind of makes sense to me, that, that the movie is supposed to be an emotional chronicle of the past 10 years. And it's going to take you through the emotions that we all went through from the bloodlust through to that kind of slump where it's like where's this going Mm -hmm. then finally into that final sequence where it's like yeah we're back and we finally got him you know if 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 that's the intent i can get behind that and if if, again if if chastain's character is just supposed to be a symbol of of america and what america was going through i'm fine because that that to me is an artistic intent that's an artistic purpose that's not journalistic that's not trying to just stick to the facts and I think it's it's that conflation of being accurate and trying to put an artistic stamp on something. I don't think the film ever really finds a good balance. Because if we are supposed to read the movie as accurate, which I feel like it, it's hard to come away from the movie not feeling like you're supposed to read it as this is what occurred. Yeah then most people are going to come away from those torture scenes thinking, well, not only is that a representation of America's bloodlust, that also worked. That's what happened, that, that those methods led directly to the capturing of Osama bin Laden, which is up for debate. But it, le- it led to the capture of Osama bin Laden hundreds upon hundreds of days later, only because of this one person's 
obsession with this little this little Piece bit of, of information, information that yeah. she all of a sudden remembers or comes across due to this. So I don't know if it's necessarily a direct one-to-one correlation, but which is where I think people are kind of, again, kind of missing the point. It's not condoning torture in any way. These people, these people and this thing happened in a, in a world that all of, all of a sudden became very, very murky. Torture is obviously bad. It's obviously not a good thing to do. But the movie does say does imply that it works, which is a problem. As With a lot of layoff, though, like a long time in between. We, well, yeah. Years. Well, yeah. But, Years. But, but, yeah. but it did lead to that key bit of information about the courier. I thought she got that information over the table. Like, she lied to him about the events that happened in a certain attack and say, like, oh, it failed. And then so a defeated, he just kind of tells her, yeah, well, it was because of this and that and the other. Right. They, they tell him that because uh, he's been being tortured for months. I think it's because he doesn't know it. He doesn't know what's going on in the outside world. So she feeds him this information and he's, you know, all right, fine, whatever. Well, what happens is he's tortured for months. Yeah. And then one day over lunch or whatever, they're like, oh, by the way, you while you were passed out or something, or while you were delusional because you you hadn't slept in ninety six hours, you told us some 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 of this stuff. Yeah. And there's also that one character uh, who we don't see again, but who we just see that one uh, for one time who just says, "I'll tell you anything. I don't want to be tortured anymore." Uh, which I think is right. again one of the one of the weirder sequences in the movie. But that's of all the scenes, I think that's the one where people can kind of come away saying that torture worked in a way. I feel like if you're just going to be matter-of-fact, you know, if your purpose isn't to pass judgment and you're going to be matter-of-fact, fine, at least show some sort of context sure. for that claim. Wait, what, what, what more context would you would have wanted? I would have wanted anyone to show up and say either, hey, we n- not necessarily we, we shouldn't do this, but hey, this isn't, this doesn't, work well because even chastain at the beginning when she's a little hesitant and and uh, jason patrick's character gives him the out or gives her the out Mm -hmm. she's even like no i can handle it well right yeah but i think what i would have wanted is i i would have been fine if you want to show the torture happened fine Mm -hmm. but don't show that it worked in getting such a key piece of information unless you're absolutely positive that that was indeed the case, which we're not sure that that was indeed the case. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that torture never works. Obviously, there are some situations in which it probably does work, but so many times, so many studies have shown that torture either doesn't work or just even results in getting false information, mm-hmm. and it is not effective. That if you're not going to comment on the morality of it, at least come, at least acknowledge that it, it might not be the most effective means of getting information. And I feel like by implying that it does work, or, or at least that it did work in getting this key bit of information, this key bit of info, that's being disingenuous, I think, and that's distorting the facts. And I think I think people are going to come away with an incorrect interpretation of what happened. So yeah, that, that, that's that's my issue with it. It's it's not so much oh there's torture in the movie or the movie endorses torture. It's that the movie again because the movie is so much like this is accurate. Mm-hmm. This is facts. That's where I have mixed mixed feelings about it. Does that make sense? I can see that, yeah. 
you know, and, and it's just it's just little things like the fact that obviously Maya isn't a real person. She's sort of a composite of a lot of different agents. And the fact that they they go out of their way, like to reference these other bombings mm-hmm. and attacks that occurred. Like you've got the attack on the restaurant and then you've got the attack on Camp Chapman. The British bombing. Right. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me Maya and her friend were actually at that place when the bombing happened? Oh, wait, you're telling me that Maya's friend was then later at the Camp Chapman bombing when that happened? That seems like a rather large coincidence. So, again, there's just that conflict in my mind between this is what actually happened versus this is a movie and we're taking some creative liberties. I guess in her defense, and um, I don't know if it was Catherine Bigelow's or Mark Bowles, it kind of sets the mindset of what was going on. All these attacks were happening. They're failing to get the information. They're failing to stop these attacks. Um, it feels really out of control for the first, I don't know, hour or so in the movie. They just can't get a handle on things and people are dying. That's the cost of their failure is that lives are lost. So in that sense, I think you get to feel the enormity a little bit better because you do have characters mm-hmm. directly involved with uh, the attacks. But that's about the the best way I could think to put that. Josh, you'll have to remind me. Um, now, in, in Zodiac, one of the things I, I remember about Zodiac is that it does give you the sense that this is what actually happened or this is what the investigation was actually. Well, about. yeah, because it's, ba- it's based on uh, Grace Smith's book about right. what happened. The interesting thing about that movie to me is that it goes from character to character. Like yeah. certain characters will be investigating this for a while and then they'll suddenly just kind of drop off and another character will pick it up. Yeah. And that that seems more true to life to me. That seems more, I guess you could say, quote unquote, factual as to how these investigations actually happen most of the time. I'm wondering if maybe maybe I would have responded to Zero Dark Thirty differently if that had been the case, where it wasn't just one oh, character who's so obsessed with finding Bin Laden that that all that she just happens to be in the right place at the right time and, and all the stuff when when all, when all this happens. I think maybe I would be more willing to accept that quote-unquote journalistic aspect of it if it was like, oh, well, yeah, Maya worked on it for a while, and then this other guy came along and helped along, helped out, Mm -hmm. and then this person got some key information. I feel like that's probably more what actually happened. I mean, I really – I have trouble believing that one person was responsible for so much. Well, a a couple of things on that. One, I think the scope of the thing that we're dealing with in between the two films are a little bit different. Uh, I mean, we have the a manhunt for the world's number one fugitive as opposed to a California-based serial killer. I think there's a little bit different. and I, I mean, it's decades uh, after, after the occurrences in Zodiac, and it's, I mean, a year and a half, however long after we, we finally killed Osama Bin Laden. And also, I do think it's an issue that the cast... Feels kind of wasted here. The you have big players like uh, Jason Clark. He's great. James Gandolfini. Gandolfini's great. Uh, Chandler's great. But then you have someone like Mark Duplass just randomly showing up. Yo, he was in like every movie <laughs> last year. He was literally. I think he was one of the aliens in the Avengers. Like I swear to God, he was in everything. Everything. <laughs> yeah. I had a my theater actually had three of his movies playing next to each other all at one time. Like it was pretty bad. 
That is yeah. the coolest thing ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I could have t- I I could totally see uh where you're standing on that because it is it does kind of get a little bit like like you want to see a fresh face or you want to get some kind of different perspective. Some different perspective to kind of connect to because it is like right. we've been saying this entire time. This movie's icy cold. Like it is insanely detached from any sort of emotion except for the f- opening like 20 minutes right after the opening two minutes because that's just kind of like yeah America let's go get them yeah and uh, you know you you brought up the fact that it's so much of the movie and the way it's shot it, it's murky and it's trying to communicate that idea of murkiness I think I, I what I'm trying to say is I, I'm, I'm okay with that murkiness being a theme but I don't want to look at a movie and 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 feel murky about what the intent was. I don't want to be conflicted over, well, wait, should I read this as journalism? Should I read this as art? What if murkiness is the intent? Because that's the way I looked at it, is like, at least at least kind of tonally and thematically, I think the, the murkiness of that time period is kind of one of the points. Because Bigelow, I don't think, ever condones or really, and, and shockingly so, doesn't really just disregard and say... Uh, Torture is bad, but I don't think she ever says it's good, which I think is kind of a really interesting stance to just kind of be not indifferent, but to see kind of how the time period bred something so drastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to, to remember that that time period, I mean, we would have done just about anything. So, Right. I, I agree. That, that is true. It's interesting to me thinking, thinking back to um, The Hurt Locker because what that movie – does so well is that it makes the audience complicit in its its ideas and its themes like the whole movie is about addiction to violence and addiction to war and that that thrill and as you're watching a movie like the hurt locker you the audience are also just kind of like yeah i can't wait to see another (laughs) big bomb scene i wonder if something's gonna blow up come on you know and it, it kind of makes you complicit in in that idea and I, I, I like how that's clearer in The Hurt Locker. Maybe the way I'm reacting is the way I'm supposed to be reacting. Maybe that murkiness is the point, like you said, and I'm supposed to have all of these mixed feelings well, about sure. it, and, and that's overall the point. But I, I don't know, just overall, I guess what I'm saying is that feeling of confusion and frustration and, and that murkiness, it isn't as satisfying <laughs> As the uh, as the addiction to violence and the thrill. That's kind of something that's been at least mo- at least recently kind of been really that point of view has been really commented on with something like what funny games, yeah, and mm-hmm. just stuff like that. But I think I think the idea of this of the murkiness and I'm going to get sick of saying that damn word. Uh, <laughs> it, I think that's kind of thrilling. I, I haven't seen that much lately, and I think it, it speaks to the times, and I think that's that's important. Yeah, there isn't a clear good guy, bad guy, because the person, the side that we're supposed to be on is the one that's also doing all these horrible things. Yeah, because we all do know that it's horrible. I don't think there's many people that come out of this like, oh my god, let's do more of that, that was so awesome. Uh, uh, people that don't, people that didn't come into the, uh, come into yeah, the movie yeah. with that standpoint. Like, I don't think many people's opinions are being changed in the way of yeah. pro torture here. Well, the thing is, like you said about Zero Dark Thirty capturing an emotion, I think that fully comes into play in the last. I think the last scene exactly. The raid, the raid on the compound. 
I think it's the most well-directed sequence in the whole film, and it's super yeah. intense. I think it's the most directed sequence in the entire movie. Yeah. Yes, I, I would agree with that. But But even though I came into the movie with very mixed opinions about the killing of Osama bin Laden. And, and, and I personally am not sure that that was necessarily the right thing to do at that time or in the way that it was carried out. When you see the, the SEAL Team 6 going in and it's just, it's so well-directed, it's hard not to get caught up in it. Like, yeah, like get that guy. Yes. I, I, I'm, I, I want that. That is definitely the most thrilling sequence of the film. I was kind of confused as to why so much time So much of the film's runtime was spent with that compound. Like, the first hour and a half covers, like, nine years, and then the last hour of the movie is all, here's this compound. Bin Laden could be in it. What are we going to do? Let's. And you've got Chastain writing down the amount of days it's been on the wall. And, and, And that, to me, was when the movie started to pick up, and it seems like the much, like you said, the, the, the more, quote-unquote, directed half of the film, where I, I definitely... During the second half of the movie, I felt much more like, oh, yes, I'm watching a movie. And I, I liked that. Yeah, that, that is definitely probably one of my favorite sequences, if not my favorite sequence in the movie. Uh, and I like how it ends. I do really dig the idea of Chastain just kind of crying at the end, just like, where do we go next? Because that's kind of what we all felt after after we finally got him. We just kind of, mm-hmm. we were we were happy, and, and then all of a sudden we just had that kind of, sigh where we're just like all right so uh good job guys what's next well some of us were happy i i don't i I don't yeah that's that's an entirely different debate because i I, (laughs) yeah that's a discussion that's a discussion for another time and that's the thing that that last scene i i do like the last scene because it it makes you wonder like i i feel like the last scene is murky in a good way it's not vague it's just ambiguous it's like well is she crying because she's so happy is she crying because she's full of despair because she doesn't know what to do now what is it i I like i do think that that was a good way to end the movie i just wish the first half of the movie had been as compelling to me but um is there anything else you'd like to say about zero dark 30 before we wrap things up final thoughts uh I, i don't know if i like how it's being politicized really uh, I think there's I think there's a definite issue there because it's not as an insanely liberal Democrat. There's nothing that that screamed to me like I ended up walking out like all of a sudden wanting to go buy a bunch of guns and voting Republican. Like, I, I don't know if it's because I've seen online <laughs> many people claim that it's completely and utterly pro torture and yeah. pro like I, I don't think it's pro torture. I do think that it does portray it as effective, which I think is an issue. So I, I don't mind a lot of the discussion. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that it has spawned that type of conversation. I tend to be glad whenever movies inspire conversations oh, about real-world issues. So overall, I think I'm fine with that. But, but oh, one, one thing real quick before I forget, getting back to the torture scenes. Is it just me? Am I totally desensitized here? I kind of felt like the torture scenes weren't that horrific in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, I've seen... I thought the last one, I think it's the last one, the box one. The box, the little wooden box. I thought that was right. terrifying. Like, I was appalled. What was interesting to me, and that I think maybe why it didn't, it didn't strike me quite as horrific as it could have, is that it seemed like most of the time the way 
those scenes were shot and the way they were framed, the emphasis in the frame was always on a person, like an agent, rather than the torture itself. You never saw really graphic close-ups of the waterboarding or of the guy in the box. You know, that stuff was always there, but it was kind of like always off to the side or in the background. Or you'd get very short close-ups of like his face or like when yeah. they, when he was when he was saying the, right. the days of the week, um, it was just kind of – it was a close-up on his face. But yeah. Right. And so there was a part of me that came away feeling like, well, or just, just wondering, is that being disingenuous to not – fully focus on the torture itself and how awful it is. I think it's more effective to focus on the actual person perpetrating these awful, okay, <laughs> really awful things. Like shoving a guy in a wooden box. That sucks. Like, that's not cool. I don't know. I just felt like most of the time during those, se- those scenes, I wasn't feeling like the full emotional horror at what was going on, and I wasn't sure if that was just me or if it was just how those scenes were shot, and, and, and again, if that was intentional and what Bigelow might be trying to do. I guess if I can butt in with like the feminist theory of how we watch film, <laughs> so our sympathy is with the perpetrator. It, it's with the perpetrator. So, like a lot of like rape revenge stories, you always come from the viewpoint of the attacker. It's never from the viewpoint of the victim because that's um, it's not as interesting or titillating or whatever the director is trying to go for. So, in that sense, it's also a little difficult because our main characters are on the side of the perpetrator. Like that's who are who we're following. The main character isn't the victim, right? Whereas, like, I had a big issue with compliance, which you you like because I say the main character would be the girl, and instead the attack happens. It's from the viewpoint of the guy. We are looking down on her, mm-hmm. so that's already putting you in the mind frame that you see herself or you see her lowered. That is an interesting point because you know whenever you watch a movie like. Saw or Hostel or something where there's all this graphic torture. You're right. It, we are usually encouraged to to empathize with the victim, which is why it's just kind of like, oh, that's so disgusting. <laughs> and it's it's just really in your face about yeah. this is the really awful, gross stuff that's happening to this, to these people. So that that is an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that as to maybe that's why Bigelow doesn't focus on that, doesn't make the torture quite so yeah. graphic. Because maybe I guess to the perpetrators, it isn't that disturbing. Or that it's justified. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. All right. Any any other final thoughts on Zero Dark Thirty? Still my top movie of the year. <laughs> it would have been near there for me if I had yeah. seen it in time. And I, the only thing I would say is people go see it and make make up your own mind. Their own mind, it's, yeah. It's something that, like Andrew said, it's a discussion starter. And I think that in and of itself is reason enough for everyone to see it. And thankfully, it's kind of doing well at the box office. So yeah. people are seeing it. Would have been unfortunate if nobody went to go see it after all this. That would have been very, very unfortunate. (laughs) All right. The last thing I'll say, just to piss off Josh, (laughs) is if you want to see Jessica Chastain play a character with some sort of depth, go see Mama. Oh, oh my God. All right. That's a fine (laughs) way to end on. Never speak to you again. That's what. That's what. All right, that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion of Zero Dark Thirty here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing either Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, or Movie 43, or Parker. (laughs) One of those three, I'm sure to be Oscar-caliber 
films right there. Oh, that's going to be fun. I hate January. Can I say yeah. that again? I hate January. Have fun with that. Have fun. No. Have fun seeing those. Oh, we will. I'm sure we will. <laughs> All right. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That really helps us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place. Don't forget to check the website. We have a new column that's going to be running every week. Taking a look back at David Lynch's TV series Twin Peaks and going episode by episode through that series. So if you're a David Lynch fan or you like Twin Peaks, check FilmGeekRadio.com every week uh, for the latest updates on that column. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online on Twitter at MCastiMovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I Movies. They can also find my work republished on the BOFCA website. That's B-O-F-C-A dot com. That's the Boston Online Film Critics Association. Josh, it's been great having you on the show. I'm sort of starting to understand better why people like Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> well, that's I good. Guess. If I can help enlighten, that's all. That's what uh, <laughs> So, yeah, th- thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. Where can people find more of you and your work? Um, you can find me all over the front page of CriterionCast.com, Twitter at Josh Brunsting, and that's mainly it. There may be some other stuff uh, coming down the pipeline, but those are those are the mainstays right now. I'm kind of all over the web, so... You've had a baby coming down the pipeline. Yeah, that's kind of Aww. the biggest thing coming on the way, so I will, I'm, I, I'll be a dad soon. I'm so excited. Oh. That's your big project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my big project. I'll in a few months, apparently. All right. Well, I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode of Cinema Fix. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week being high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!